Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League on Access with me, Sam Matterface. Alongside me, as always, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Krug, and the former Chelsea West Ham and Benfica defender, Scott Minto. Here's what's coming up on the show. I have been a big Marcus Rashford fan, but if you're picking players on form, Sterling gets in ahead of Rashford. Sterling's had a better season. It's like those urban myths that come round and round and round again. He said that, yes, he would pick on form. Of course he said that. But he also said that he has to build a team. And this is, and from 2016 to 2023, seven years, things change. I would imagine this will be a sort of staggered deal. He takes 25% initially, uh, and then gradually his shares creep up so that he is the majority uh, owner of Manchester United. If Ramsdale is the number two at Arsenal, I'm sorry, then he has got to move. He's got to move in January. He's got to force it through somehow, get out, because he's much better than that. He, he almost won the title last year with Arsenal. He does not deserve to be sitting on the bench now. So get out of there and go and play for somebody else. Scott, hello, good morning, you're right, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world listening to this. So welcome to the International Break podcast. This is where everyone's a little bit more relaxed. I'm wearing a hat today, which means I'm definitely in relaxed mode. Uh, Crook hasn't had a shade, which means everything's normal. Um, and Scott, you're, you're sort of you're chilled out, you're on your phone, you're in a hoodie, you know, you're sort of, you know, it's International Break, I'm down with it. <laughs> Something like that, mate. You're, you're looking cool, though, and, and the tash is coming along nicely. Yeah, Tash for Movember is uh, is getting there. It's getting there. It's getting there. By the time we go to, um, we're going we're going out and about next week. We're doing the podcast out uh, and about next week. So when by the time people see that, I think it will be uh, more established. I'm trying to go for the oh Sabbaty Sam look. If I was Ginger, I'd have it right down there. You know, like the old uh, uh, the old cartoon character. Uh, Crook international break for you usually means no work. So why are you here? <laughs> Not quite no work. Um, obviously, busy times at, at Manchester United this week. Been getting stuck into that. Georgia Scotland commentary coming up as well. And then, yeah, a couple of days at, uh, at Cheltenham races for their November meeting. So looking forward to that. Does that mean he's not going to Portugal in this international break? It's, it must be at least a month or two since he's been. I've, ch- I've chosen Cheltenham instead. Have they revoked your Portuguese uh, pa- passport as a result of that? <laughs> they will be worried, actually, yeah. The beer sales for this month are going to get dropped <laughs> through the floor, I'd imagine. Uh, not going to be the case uh, at Wembley. Uh, no Premier League action this weekend, but England are in action. They've got a double header, and it's coming up live on TalkSport.
it's good that it's less important because we've done the job quickly. <laughs> I think Gareth has done an incredible job. We've got a bunch of young players. Being led by a great captain. Raheem Sterling's not naive. He'll look at the England squad, as we all do, and say, that player doesn't play, that player's not informed, that player's not doing well. Why aren't I in the squad? I mean, the door is 100% open, not only for Raheem, but for other players that aren't in this squad. And now it's up to Cole Palmer. He takes a deep breath, left foot, he drives the ball, in off the post, and scores! I always like, try to believe in myself without being over the top. He's showing that... He can make the difference. There are players that we need to see more of, and also we only have four more games before we need to name a squad. July the 14th, Berlin next year. England have to win. England already qualified to, on paper, what you would suggest are winnable games, Malta and North Macedonia. Now, it's really important that England win these games in order to make sure that their seeding for the European Championships is good. Um, they do not want to be in pot two. If they're in pot two, then it makes their, their group progression, which should be quite sort of serene, as we saw at the last European Championships, because they've now expanded the European Championships. Um, the, the group games, you can almost use them as sort of secondary warm-up games, if that makes any sense. Uh, because you are very, very likely to be able to go through to the, the next round of the competition. What you don't want is to end up being in pot two and end up having a group game against Germany, or Spain or France, someone like that. Um, so it's important that they win. What do you want to see from these games, Scott? Um, I, I want to see, I think if, if you're looking at Malta, um, I think he can be as radical as he wants. And you've explained why it's important to win. But look, they've played seven, lost seven, scored two, conceded 18. So they've not got one point and they're getting hammered. Now this, Sam, I think the three of us could get away with playing in this game and still <laughs> we'd, we'd, we'd win it. Um, North Macedonia, I think, is tough away from home. And I think it's still important to try and, try and you know, nail down his best 11 that he feels will be starting at the Euros. Of course, a lot can happen between now and then. So I would like to see two very different sides. You know, the one against Malta at home, as I say, uh, you know, they're, they're not a good side. We will get a win, whatever team is put out. Let's have a look at some players, but but play strong against North Macedonia. Um, it, it's, it's important, isn't it, to remember that Gareth only has a certain number of games between now and the European Championship. So you can understand why he is trying to formulate his best 11 rather than experimenting with a, a different type of squad, Alex. Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, it, his hand's been forced in, in terms of injury withdrawals. It'd be interesting to see how strong he goes. You, you'd think for this first game, Harry Kane probably will be left in cold storage, but we know that Harry Kane is going to want to play. Personally, I'd like to see Ollie Watkins uh, given another chance to lead the line up front. Um, I think he did really well uh, during the last international break, enhanced his chances for a call-up. And I, I think this first game is an opportunity to be a little bit experimental while also winning and winning well. I think anything less than a 4-0 victory for England, which was the scoreline in the away game, would be disappointing. L little quiz question for you, actually. Malta have only scored one goal in their history against England. Do you know who got it? It must have been an own goal. It was an own goal. Richard Wright, own goal. Oh, wow. right. Okay, yeah, goalkeeper. Like there you go. No one would never have gone. Mm. That was a long time ago. Uh, was Michael Miftu playing in that game? <laughs> I think he was, wasn't he? Michael Miftu, Malta legend. Um, uh, um, the, the squad before all the dropouts was, was what you would usually expect from a Gareth Southgate squad. 
But I think it's really great that once those players have dropped out, instead of going for tried and tested Premier League players, which he clearly doesn't want to have in the squad, right? You know, you can make your argument, whatever you want for James Ward-Prowse, but let's just back away from that because now he's gone, no, do you know what? I'm not going to go for James Ward-Prowse. Instead, I'm going to go and look towards the future. Rico Lewis is playing in the Champions League for Manchester City. He's playing in a variety of different positions. He's actually confessed this week that his best position he feels is in midfield, but he can play right back, he can play centre midfield, he can play left back, he can play, he actually can play anywhere, the kid. He's so good on the ball. Cole Palmer, who's made such a great impact at Chelsea, who's only 21 years of age, which is great. He's in the squad as well. And Esri Conta, who's been rewarded for a series of good, solid performances over a number of seasons. Um, I think the idea of bringing those in is it sort of shows that he is looking one he's rewarding good form scott and two he's saying these guys are young and enterprising they're going to be our future yeah look sam i i, I trust me i'm a gareth fan and and i've defended him a lot in many things but if you're talking about form then rahim sterling does go in um and we can come on to him whenever you want but in terms of rico lewis i think he's an absolute incredible talent i really do you know, for him to be playing the games and the minutes he's had in, in the best team in the world, under the best manager in the world, shows the talent he's got and, and, and obviously how versatile he is. Esri Conza started at Charlton, of course, is doing really well, having a fantastic season under Emery, like, like most of the Villa players. But you and I have seen Cole Palmer a lot. And I, I didn't realise how good the kid was. And I, I can understand, it's a big gamble for him to leave Manchester City, you know, a treble winning side. Look like, you know, they're going to dominate English football for years to come. And yet he said, no, I want to play. And I think he's almost Chelsea's most important or best player at the moment. And he's taken the games by the scruff of the neck. And the way he's taken the penalties, one off the ball off Raheem Sterling against Arsenal, two stepping up with that last, almost last kick of the game against City. I would love to see him personally play in that game against Malta. Yeah, I mean, look, you've got to take Cole Palmer to the European Championships just in case there is a penalty shootout, haven't you? Um, <laughs> it'd be reliable from the spot. Um, let's talk about Raheem Sterling then, because you mentioned him there. Um, it's all right saying that he should be in the squad, but who who does he who should he have been in the squad for? Because once Madison drops out, they want someone who can play in that sort of creative role. Palmer does that. That's not really Sterling's game. He's more of a left winger who runs with the ball and takes on opponents, isn't he? I mean, why would why would Sterling jump Marcus above any, any of those? I was about to say exactly the same, and you know I'm a Manchester United fan. I have been a big Marcus Rashford fan, but if you're picking players on form, Sterling gets in ahead of Rashford. Sterling's had a better season than Marcus Rashford in terms of goal contributions, in terms of really stepping up and being a leader in a very young Chelsea team. I think Sterling can count himself very unlucky that Rashford has got the nod ahead of him. And I think I think it's over for Raheem Sterling as far as England are concerned, certainly all the time that Gareth Southgate is in charge. Um, because He's been overlooked now for every squad that's been picked this season, despite the fact that he's found a little bit of form. And I know personally, Raheem Sterling is hurting right now. Why is Gareth overlooking him, Scott? Sam, I've no idea. Um, you know, he, he's supported players that have done well for him in the past, but are not playing, i.e. Harry Maguire and Calvin Phillips. And Raheem Sterling has certainly done that. He's been absolutely superb. And not only is he playing right now, he's playing really well. And he's been playing well all season. Um, I the only thing I can reason it's not football reason because he's he's so far ahead of Marcus Rashford right now it's 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 incredible in terms of form I think that Gareth didn't like and I don't know how the conversation went 
the fact that Rahim didn't make himself available for the March and June internationals. And for him to turn around and say, Gareth, um, and, and I agree with Crookie, I, I think it's done now for Sterling. You know, I think Gareth has already come out and said, you know, the squad is pretty much settled. Um, but for him to say, look, we, we've we've done really well and we try to stick to the same squad. Well, you always strive for that little bit extra. You always strive to how can we get this one or two percent extra? And yes, results and performances have been very good. But for me, Raheem Sterling, and you know, I was at, in the studio of TalkSport last night and we had a Man U fan calling up and, and saying exactly the same thing. You know, Raheem Sterling is a better player right now than Marcus Rashford. I don't get it personally. Yeah, um, and it's all right to, to to sort of suggest that, but that what you just said is also really important. Is that at this moment in time, he feels he's got a great squad. He feels he's got options that he can bring in off the bench. They have got such a wealth of talent that if you do not, for whatever reason, perform in the manner or behave in the manner that the manager likes, he is able to drop you. He was able to drop Raheem Sterling and leave him out of the squad because he has so much talent in that area of the field. Whereas, for example, if you're Harry Maguire or if you're Calvin Phillips there isn't as much competition for your place. So therefore, there is more latitude afforded to you. Not that Calvin Phillips has done anything wrong, but he is not playing as regularly. It looks like he will be playing more regularly come January, Crook, because he is going to move, isn't he? Yeah, I think that's almost nailed on now. I mean, in, in fairness, I don't think City would have stood in his way if he wanted to leave in the summer. And I know there was interest late in the window from from Liverpool and there were various other Premier League clubs sniffing around as well. But I think he wanted to give himself one more chance to persuade Pep Guardiola that he could feature regularly for the treble winners. Obviously, that hasn't happened. He was in the tunnel, actually, um, at Stamford Bridge last week when I was conducting the post-match interviews, laughing and joking away with Rico Lewis. So, um, clearly, he's managed to maintain an upbeat personality. But I think it's best for all concerned now if Calvin Phillips moves on. The, the fascinating thing will be where, because if it is to be Newcastle, who obviously are, are crying out for someone to replace Tonali... It would have to be a loan deal because I think their finances are really tight at this moment in time due to FFP. Now, Man City won't see Newcastle as rivals for the championship at this moment in time, but they might just be a little bit reluctant to aid Newcastle in their pursuit of getting into the top four again because obviously that strengthens them as a football club and as a brand. He may well go abroad. You know, there's interest from, from clubs in Serie A. So, a uh, big decision for Calvin Phillips to make. Juventus have been linked, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that might be a good move for him. But is there a danger then of out of sight, out of mind? Because it's taken a while, isn't it, for Southgate to come round to the idea of picking Tamori, despite the fact he's been excelling in Serie A for some time. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that same fate has befallen Jordan Henderson, hasn't it? Well, that's, <laughs> that, that same fate should have been should have befallen Jordan Henderson. There's <laughs> a big tumbleweed there. Uh, he's playing in front of 693 people in the Saudi Pro League. Yet, funnily enough, he still managed to get into the squad. So I don't think out of sight, out of mind really works anymore. Uh, Harry Kane's playing in Germany, still getting picked. I mean, we've got this, these television things are amazing nowadays and that internet thing. Wow. Damn. Sam, honestly, I think that all of this, what we're just saying, tells us that Gareth, wants who he wants and it's very difficult being the England manager to try and say one size fits all you know he said at the start of his reign it's all about form well you can't say that now because he has got a body of evidence of what's happened in it's not true. That is well, that is a well, quote. That, that is a quote that's been. Didn't. That is that is a quote that's been. It's like those urban myths that come round and round, round and round again. He said that yes, he would pick on form. Of course, he said that. But he also said that he has to build a team, 
And this is, you know, and from 2016 to 2023, seven years, things change. You're going to hide, hold him by a high petard because he said once upon a time in one in one part of a press conference in which he does a thousand every single year that he would pick on form. Of course, he's going to say that. Well, whatever Gareth does or doesn't want, he seems to want young uh, players that are playing in big games. And certainly Rico Lewis is doing that. Um, and uh, he's been speaking this week and talking about what his favourite position is. I prefer to play midfield, like you've seen in the past few games, you know, Leipzig away, uh, young boys at home have played as a as a number eight and a number 10 as well. Uh, I think that's where I want to, you know, in the future, that's where I want to play. But for now, I don't, I don't mind playing in any position, you know, I just want to play as much as I can. And the more I play, the better I'll get. Especially being able to, like, like you said, having the versatility to play in different positions will give me more of a chance of playing in general because there's more positions I can play in. Rico Lewis there speaking about um, his position and where he wants to play. Listen, he's so press resistant. He can play in that midfield area. I love the fact that he wants the ball all the time and he can distribute it well. And the fact that he's playing high caliber games also is a feather in his cap. I thought about a year ago, once he started getting into the a year ago, probably, was it that long ago? Maybe six months ago. And when he really started getting into the team for, with Manchester City, um, that I thought this kid has got to go to the Euros in 2024 because he's playing in these big games. And if he's playing for Manchester City, then boy, can he play for England? Uh, and we've seen with Bellingham that there is no barrier to entry with England, even if you are incredibly young. Um, would he be a shock inclusion if... Um, he was picked for the European Championship squad. Or do you think that because of his calibre and because of the fact that he's played so many games now uh, for Manchester City, that it would be uh, more of a shock exclusion if they decided not to take him and took one of the older heads? What do you think? I think the truth is probably somewhere in between the two because you know from your dealings with Gareth Southgate working for television that he's very big on building for the future. That's why... There's often been players of a certain age that have been overlooked and maybe James Ward-Prowse is finding that now that Gareth thinks actually don't have any real longevity for England and therefore he'd rather put his faith in youth. So I think there's every chance that Rico Lewis finds himself on the plane, particularly if he can get regular minutes for Manchester City between now and the end of the season. You say he's trusted by Pep Guardiola in the Champions League, so it would almost be foolhardy if Gareth didn't trust him Therefore at the European Championships. And he brings that versatility, doesn't he? He can play in midfield, he can play in defence. I think he'll be in, actually. I think he'll be there. I think he will as well. Um, Scott, give me a shock exclusion and a shock inclusion for the European Championships. Can you do that? Well, I don't think Gareth does shock uh, inclusions or exclusions, really. But I don't know whether Rakim Sterling would be a shock inclusion or exclusion. I think it would probably be a, a shock inclusion now. I'd also go for, I'd like to see Ivan Tony see how he does in the second half of the season. You know, if he if he hits yeah. the ground running and we'll see where he goes in terms of if Arsenal are up there, will they spend a lot of money and really go for it or not? But I'd like to see him. You talk about penalties. He's not bad at them, is he? Um, Best in the world, according to Thomas Frank. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, Ivan Tony for me, that would be the inclusion. Okay, uh, Ivan Tony is currently still at Brentford and is on a ban. He will be back at the end of January. Um, there's lots to talk about him moving in January. We thought he was going to move in January, actually, uh, but I've been reliably told now that he is not going to move in the January transfer window. It's going to be in the summer if he does end up leaving Brentford. Brentford are trying to get him to sign a new contract and they expect to do that, I think, 
uh, before he comes back. And then I think there'll be some sort of mechanism in the contract so that he can move maybe in the summer after the Euros. If he ends up going, you never know. Um, um, what about uh, you, Crook? Have you got any shock inclusions? I, I, th- I think Esri Konza actually is a is a possibility. And the reason I think that is, is because obviously we've, we've been looking for central defenders that they can rely on. And actually, all of a sudden, you're starting to get quite a few more bodies in that area of the field now. You know, they've, they've got, you've mentioned Tamori, they've got Gay, they've got um, Maguire and Stones, obviously, who's injured. But there's a little bit more competition in that area now. And I just wonder whether or not, you know, it might be that Conter is the one that gets in because he's got a lot more experience in terms of playing Premier League football than some of those others as well. So maybe Gay and Conza might be the ones that get in. I don't know. Crook? Yeah, I, I think it's difficult to pick a shock inclusion because, as, as Scott says, if you look at Gareth's um, history when it comes to picking squads for major tournaments, there aren't really any surprises. I think if Cole Palmer continues to play as well as he, he is at this moment in time, then, then he's got a fantastic chance. But would that necessarily be a shock? I guess in terms of shock exclusions, and we're going to talk about them in a minute, if Aaron Ramsdale doesn't play much football between now and the end of the season for Arsenal, then perhaps his position would be in jeopardy. But I think he'll take him anyway because of how he is in the dressing room and that personality that he has in the camp. So, yeah, I, I don't foresee too many surprises. Um, the one player we haven't spoken about who probably should get a mention is Anthony Gordon because uh, I think he was linked with switching allegiance to Scotland. I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. I think he's going to be capped by England. It won't be too long before he is. He's in the England under-21 squad. He's playing very well for the England under-21s. He was the player of the tournament at the the, the, the championships in the summer which England won and he will end up playing for England at some point. Um, but again, it's there's competition in the area of the field that he likes to play. I mean, they're blessed so much with left wingers, aren't they? I mean, you, Scott, you remember what it was like, you know, anyone who could kick with a left foot would get into the England squad at one stage. But now you can't get, you can't move for left footers, can you? No, I mean... Andy Sinton. Andy Sinton, yeah. I was just about to say, I was left footed, and yet I still couldn't get in when there was a dearth of left footed players. <laughs> No, but you did um, have Soxie and you did have Soxie and Pierce ahead of you, didn't you? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, no, look, absolutely, and I really like him, and I think you know, play of the tournament after the Euros, but it was Levi Colwell was the person who I thought would be the one was most likely to step up, which has happened. But he was number two, and I think he has been playing really well, and I, it would be a shame for him to to choose Scotland. I hope he doesn't. But you're right. I think it, you know, right back and sort of attacking midfielders. We are, we have got. I just think a depth of quality of, of players in that position. So it's going to be tough for him, but I think he started this season really well. So would love to see him. It's a good shout, him possibly going in. You never know with injuries. Do you know what? It shows how far England have come. Um, I don't know if you remember, but during Euro 96 or in the build-up, they produced those sort of big head figures. They were all the rage in, in news agents. And amongst the England ranks were Andy Sinton and also Barry Venison had a figure as yeah, well, yeah. mate. I mean, you, you, you look now... With the greatest respect in the world, I'm not sure either those players get anywhere near this England squad, do they? Well, the other thing is, is that prior to that England uh, Euro '96 campaign, Alan Shearer hadn't scored a goal for two years in international football, mm. 
Um, mm. And there was all sorts of concerns about whether or not he was the right man to lead the line. Well, I mean, look, well, the rest is history. But um, it was, uh, yeah, listen, sometimes in the build-up to tournaments, things don't go your way perfectly. And then all of a sudden you get there and it's a very different scenario because that is where the business is. That's where the money is made. Right, okay. Um, the two friendlies are live on TalkSport Friday and Monday of this week. Friday and Monday or Friday and Tuesday? Um, it's Friday and Monday, I think it is. Um, Monday. Water, and then Monday. North Macedonia away on Monday. Uh, live on TalkSport with Jim and with Stuart Pierce. On to the rest of the headlines from the footballing world, starting with a change at board level at Manchester United. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Did. Shock, shock, horror, horror, shock, shock, horror. Uh, Richard Arnold is going to leave Manchester United. I mean, who would have thought that was going to happen? I mean, we haven't been saying that for what? What is it? I think it's about four months now, right? That that was going to happen ever since the uh, the, the stuff with Greenwood came out. And uh, we suggested that the way that the statement was worded, it just looked as if this guy was being sort of edged further and further out, out the door. That's now happened. So does that mean that the Jim Ratcliffe deal is almost over the line, Crook? Yeah, I think it's a fairly big indicator. Um Obviously, some were getting carried away, suggesting that it could be announced on Monday of this week. They were never going to do that on the day that Sir Bobby Charlton um, was marked at his funeral service. Even the Glazers aren't quite that crass. Um, I'm now told it, it might not be confirmed this week, but should be next. So by the time Manchester United play their next Premier League game, Sir Jim Ratcliffe effectively will have minority control, although it's a bit more complicated than that. As you know, he's going to have to go through the Premier League's now more stringent, um, fit and proper person's test. So I think it will still be probably end of December, maybe even rolling into to January before he's in a position to formally come in as a 25% shareholder. But his fingerprints are on it, aren't they? Because I think Jean-Claude Blanc, former um, high-ranking director at PSG and at Juventus, he did a really good job rebuilding Juventus, is a, a serious contender to replace Richard Arnold. And while the statement was dressed up as... Arnold deciding to leave after 16 years. I think certainly he's jumped before he's pushed. And we think that John Murta will follow suit because a new sporting director is high on Sir Jim Ratcliffe's list of proposals. Paul Mitchell, desperate for the job from what I'm told, um, had that role at Southampton and at Tottenham and at Monaco as well. Dougie Friedman's an interesting contender. And from what I'm being told, there is a little bit of substance to that link. I'm not sure how well that would go down with the Manchester United fan base. 
Uh, Doogie Woogie Woogie lives in Stockport, um, so that would make sense because commuting to Crystal Palace is quite difficult for him every day. Although there's a good train from Wimslow, uh, which he can get. Actually, he lives in Wimslow. Near, near, you, you know what? You say that, right? Okay. There's a little fact for you. He lives on the same road as Sir Alex Ferguson. Did you know that? Did you know that? <laughs> no, I didn't. It's true. It's true. That's true. So go. maybe that's where the connection comes from. Um, I mean, obviously, he is going to take a minority portion of Manchester United. So people will ask the question, how is he going to have so much influence? Because basically the Glazers still run the joint, right? But this deal, what, what, what has been structured to ensure that he has a little bit more control? Well, the devil will be in the detail, but I think the initial statement that Manchester United released confirming the minority investment will be quite vague. Um, I, I would expect Sir Jim Ratcliffe to come out and, and do an interview, maybe, maybe with somebody like Gary Neville on the overlap and, and almost outline his manifesto. But speaking to uh, somebody who was attached to another Premier League club yesterday, they were suggesting to me that Sir Jim Ratcliffe would, would not really be given leeway to make these kind of decisions unless he had something in place whereby in the near future he is a majority shareholder. So I would imagine this will be a sort of staggered deal. He takes 25% initially uh, and then gradually his shares creep up so that he is the majority uh, owner of Manchester United. And you thought that won't be too far away because he's 71, so he's going to want to get on with things pretty quickly. Uh, And is this making you excited? Um, Listen, it's hard to get too excited all the time. The Glazers are still there. I understand Manchester United fans who are quite uh, downbeat about Sir Jim Ratcliffe coming in and quite negative to it. But I think this is the only way that anybody was going to wrestle any kind of control. They were never going to sell the entirety of the football club at this moment in time. We said that almost from when they released the statement saying they were looking for investment during the World Cup in Qatar. So it isn't a surprise. I think Sir Jim Ratcliffe has had to uh, play a game of patience. But he will want and he will get overall control eventually. So I think this is a massive step forward. The fact that the big sporting decisions are going to be taken out of the hands of those parasites, I think it can only be positive. I'm pleased you've come away to my uh, round of thinking here because um, previously you'd done a monologue up to the camera in which you said, Sir Jim, if you're listening to this, then we don't want the Glazers in the club, it's a full sow only. But now you've sort of come round to my way of thinking that you have to be a little bit clever and snake your way in and get rid of them from the inside out. I'm pleased that you've started to do that because you almost st- sounded there, almost statesman-like, like you've been owning that story for a long time. But, you know, obviously your blood was up at that time back in the day. But, you know, it's a bit strange for you to, to flip-flop your position. Um, Scott, elsewhere this week, an interesting interview conducted by the father of Aaron Ramsdale, who more or less said that his son is unhappy at Arsenal after his treatment from Mikel Arteta. He said uh, David is going to be the the main goalkeeper, the number one goalkeeper, unless there's an injury or a sending off, and my son is going to be uh, a cup goalkeeper. Now, listen, in the modern era, there isn't much chance of senior Ramsdale giving an interview like that without someone in the junior Ramsdale ranks saying, it's okay for you to say that, Dad. I mean, Dad just doesn't go sounding off like that for no reason, does he? I mean, he's trying to get a message out there. Well, well, first of all, I wasn't sure whether it was going to be Ramsdale's dad or his best golfing buddy who would be speaking on his, on his behalf. And obviously, we know who that is, Crookie, don't we? So, um, but look... Uh, you're right. He's obviously because he's he's spoken before, didn't he? Speak on the on the Netflix documentary, and um, he was there as well. So it's been a few times that he's he's spoken publicly. Yeah, he's a bit of a character, yeah. 
Absolutely. Now, it's one of two things for me. It's, you know, this is my dad. I've got utmost respect for him. I can't tell him what to do, even though I am a Premier League footballer or, you know, he absolutely wants him to do that. I don't get the point of him doing it at all. I understand it from a fatherly point of view. Your son, I think unfairly, um, is, is, is basically being pushed out of Arsenal. There's no way he's going to stay in, and fight for his place because the decision's already been made. It's David Raya. And if he wants to be a number two at Arsenal, then fine. But he's better than that. But I still feel that he doesn't need his dad to come out and speak publicly. He can, you know, between him and his agent, uh, things can be done behind crook. the scenes to try and... Oh, absolutely. A crook, best mate stroke agent, crookie, can sort things out behind the scenes. It just, it just doesn't look right. It doesn't look good that you've got your dad coming out and saying these things. As I say, I think there's different ways of getting out of the club if he wants to. And it's interesting what Crookie said about whether he'll be in the England squad come the end of the season. Now, that will test Gareth Southgate because he's liked him in the way that he's liked others. But he hasn't quite got the body of work that a Harry Maguire or Calvin Phillips has. So if I was Aaron Ramsdale, yeah. I'd be having a conversation with Gareth and say, look, if this is going to go on to the end of the season, am I going into the Euros? If not, well, um, he's got to do what he's got to do to, to get out of the club. Yeah, and, and I, I do think actually, if that is the case, and that it, which we we know it is because we've seen it, we've been around it, we know that Mikel was telling us a little porky pie when he said he's going to switch the two goalkeepers. He was never going to do that. He's definitely going to be the number two Ramsdale. If Ramsdale is the number two at Arsenal, I'm sorry, then he has got to move. He's got to move in January. He's got to force it through somehow. Get out because he's much better than that. He he almost won the title last year with Arsenal. He does not deserve to be sitting on the bench now. So get out of there and go and play for somebody else. There's quite a few clubs that would take him. Um, I don't know if the finance is going to work, whatever, and it's not necessarily going to be dream moves here, there and everywhere. But, you know, Nick Pope did brilliantly last week, made about six or seven saves in the, in the game against Bournemouth and they still lost. But I still think that Ramsdale would be an upgrade on him. I think that Robert Sanchez has done okay at Chelsea, apart from some dodgy kicking uh, every now and again, but I also think that Ramsdale will be an upgrade on him. There is a lot of clubs that would take that fella if he became available on the open market. Um, Monday night, we got to see Howard Webb explain the Anthony Gordon goal against Arsenal um, and the mic'd up decisions uh, programme. Again, like, you know, we can all have a go at it and whatever. I don't think there's any necessary sort of need to do that. I think just listening to them talk is actually quite a good thing. You know, I think we should embrace the fact that we can listen to the audio. I think there's a couple of things. You, know, you actually put out a tweet about this and we had a conversation about it afterwards about the, uh, the, the, the was it the, uh, what goal was that? That was the McTominay goal. And this is where I think it's really important because Crook was going, well, no, they shouldn't be getting involved in it because it's subjective. And Sean Ellis actually says to the, the referee on the day, oh, I need you to go over to the monitor because it is subjective. Now, the subjectivity was about whether or not Harry Maguire was, 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 in, and on, was in a position to be affecting the defender. Now, that is subjective. And what they are doing is they're ceding the control back to the, the referee. Okay, so it is subjective. So they can't make that decision in the in the VAR booth. According to the protocol, the referee has to decide that. So the subjectivity thing, that every goal that is um, scored has to be checked properly. So the clear and obvious bar almost comes back. You pull that back. That's not, that's not relevant anymore because a goal has been scored. So when a goal is scored, that's deemed a match-changing incident. So they are always, by virtue of the fact that a, a goal has gone in, are checked thoroughly. 
That's why the offside check comes out and everyone makes sure that everything's okay. So when they notice, and she was the only one who noticed it, um, that Maguire is in a position where he could be influencing the player, the defender, she sends him over to the, the monitor to look at it. That's a good thing, okay? That, that That's okay. Then it's up to the referee to make that decision on his own back. Now, whether he thinks he was or he wasn't, that's down to him. That's on his shoulders now. But she was right to get him to look at it and make sure. Whether you agree with the decision or not agree with the decision it is a subjective decision some people will think that he wasn't some people will think that he was however that was the right call by the VAR to go and do that similarly most of the checks on the Monday night football Chelsea uh, against Tottenham again you know they, they were right okay they, they got those right the one with the Anthony Gordon thing with the the push by Joel Linton what did we think of that Brooke you watched it yeah actually watching that I, I was more confident that the goal should have been allowed to stand. I think the process there was was probably followed in the proper manner. And again, they weren't convinced that there was enough contact between um, Joe Linton and Gabrielle to disallow the goal. So therefore, I think they had to go with the on-field decision. Likewise, with the ball being out of play, they don't know uh, fundamentally and therefore they didn't overrule it. I think going back to Manchester United against Brighton, when... Marcus Rashford crossed for Hoyland. He scored what would have been his only Premier League goal, his first Premier League goal. That was ruled out. I think if you're not going to rule out new, the, the goal in the Newcastle-Arsenal game, then that one should have stood as well. But that's uh, that's a different debate. So I, I was I was happy with that process. I wasn't that happy with the conversation in the Fulham-Manchester United game because, again, it was just too matey, too many nicknames. I think the only person who actually came out of that with any credit was Sean Massielis. Yeah, I mean, whatever your thoughts on the decisions, um, Scott, the process behind it looks like chaos. I think you can probably add a little bit of context to this, though, because you've done television, right? Uh, and you know what? Um, we watch television. Crook watches it. Everyone who's listening to this podcast watches television. And the person who's presenting the program looks like they're sitting there serenely and talking quite nicely to the other guests in the studio. But, Scott, tell us a little bit what it's like in your ear whilst all that is going on, because it's very similar, I think. Yeah, I think it's almost like, you know, you're, you're that proverbial swan. You know, the top half, you make it look as if you're all sort of in control, listening to what the guest is saying and your head is nodding. When actually at the same time, not only are you doing that, you're listening to the producer, the director and the PA and they're all saying different things at the same time. Now, that's not all the time. But actually, if I don't hear that noise, I start to get a little bit worried because I'm now used to it and I want to know what's going on, even if there's a problem. I want to be able to hear that problem and, and think in my head, if this does happen in the next few seconds, what am I going to do? So I actually don't have a problem with the noise in my ear. In fact, I, I, I quite like it now. But but obviously still, I mean, Sam, again, you know, you and and you, Crookie, with the commentating when you're doing it and you've got to throw to games, it's not easy when you're talking then someone just suddenly comes in and says something that you're not necessarily expecting. But in terms of the VAR, I actually think as crazy as it sounds... I thought it did very well. And whether you agree with the decision or not, and I still probably would go with the push, I thought the process was absolutely spot on. Just very unlucky. There were three processes to do in one that therefore took so much time. On the subject of VAR, keep an eye out on the Premier League All Access feed for a special programme from our colleagues at The Times looking back at the six years of football since VAR has come in. That's going to pop into the feed over the weekend. Um, Georgia Scotland is live on Thursday night uh, with Chris Iwellamu and Alex McCrook. Uh, that's Talk Sport 2. Uh, Friday night, England Malta 
uh, with Jim and Stuart Pierce, presented by Adrian Durham at Wembley. As Saturday, we've got WSL commentaries. On Sunday, we're round the grounds in the WSL, including at the Manchester Derby, where there'll be 37,000 people for Manchester United against Manchester City. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'll be doing that programme. Um, and uh, we've got more WSL coverage over the course of the weekend as well. And if you check out the Talks app, you can see Women's Football Weekly, where they'll be giving you uh, a uh, update Uh, every week on what's happening in that division Um, right that's it uh, from us Scott have a good weekend I'll see you uh, next I'll see you Wednesday because we're doing the the programme next Wednesday aren't we and uh, Crookie have a a great time in Georgia enjoy Tbilisi I hear at this time of year it's particularly special Uh, thank you very much for listening to Premier League All Access from TalkSport The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.